to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 1. Second Kings chapter one. If you found First Kings, you're getting close. So Second Kings chapter one. And here's what God's word says. We'll read the entire 18 verses of the chapter. Listen along. This is quite the story, and we get to look at it today. It's our privilege to do this. Here's what God's word says. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, And say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with the belt of leather about his waist. And he said, I knew it, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you've sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, 
the God of Ekron, is because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Please be seated. Let's pray and dive in. (coughs) Lord, thank you for your word. Help us now. Help us to not have uh, any distractions uh, that, that might take away from what you have for us today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's help as we preach, listen, interact. Thank you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a quick side note. If I clear my throat, it's just I've got pneumonia, so I'm on... Day four of the treatment of that, everything's beautiful, going to be fine, and all that. So the throat clearing is just that. I don't want it to be any kind of a distraction. Got some, some water, and we're going we're gonna to go at it. Uh, the main thing is we've got to learn something from this passage. Next week, uh, we'll go in depth a little bit, uh, uh, quite a little bit, in setting up Second Kings. Right now, I just wanted us to get this passage First of all, as we begin the new year and a new series in 2 Kings, uh, this is exciting. If you take the time and read along, read through maybe even all the way back from 1 Samuel uh, through 2 Kings uh, and make that part of your reading if you don't have something going on uh, biblically with your Bible reading right now, that would help you in this series. But let's jump in and let's look at this text today and see what the Lord has for us starts out with some really, really, really good news for God's people. And that is that Ahab was dead. Ahab was wicked. Ahab was terrible. Ahab was a leader, allegedly, of God's people. But he was a terrible leader of God's people. And together with Jezebel, uh, they were rotten to the core. And people that should have been thriving spiritually and in their lives were not thriving. And finally, after all this time, God took him out. But as is the case, and we will see this as we get into 2 Kings, it's like that old song, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And you see all of these people that have leadership given to them that are wicked and walking in the ways of their fathers. And the son, well, his name's Ahaziah, but they could have just called him Ahab Jr. He was a chip off the old block, and he was as wicked as his old man was. He's the leader. He's offering sacrifices to every god but the god that put him in charge. Out there walking on the roof of his house apparently of his palace somehow falls through the lattice work and he's on what turns out to be his deathbed and what does he do hey 
get up there 45 miles or so away and find out what Baal says. Am I going to recover from this? This is the king of Israel. It's God's person. It's one thing if uh, the Ninevites do it or the Philistines do it and all that. They are acting in character. But this is in the church. This is a leader that is there to help God's people. And he's acting like there's no God. Three times it says, is it because there is no God in Israel that you have to go there? (coughs) So we're going to jump in this morning. Four things. Um, uh, This is is just how we want to operate in 2 Kings over the next few months. Um, What does it say about God? We're going to see some familiar things about what we see about people and leadership and, and, and our human condition to be sinners. But what does God tell us about himself? Uh, these Old Testament historical books are God telling the history and pointing out about himself. So four things this morning, and um, we'll, go, we'll just take them one, one and you know, knock them, knock them, set them up, knock them down. They are this in verses one through eight. The God who despises our idolatry. Verses 9 through 12. The God who defends his witness. Verses 13 through 15. The third uh, thing that God's telling us about himself. The God who deflates our pride. And finally, the God who delivers on his promises. And that's the last three verses of the chapter. So first... The God who despises our idolatry. I think he's less embarrassed by our idolatry than he despises our idolatry. We might be a little embarrassed by it when it gets exposed. God despises that we turn, we his people, turn to other idols and other sources for our comfort and for our wisdom, for our sweet support when we're in trouble. It's one thing for foreign gods to do this, as I said, but this is God's people. And he asks, is it because there's no God in Israel? So you see him sending his messengers. He's still the king. He's not debilitated and somebody's not behind him pulling the strings and all that stuff. He's competent. He's just dying. And he says, all right, go, messengers, and find out what's going on with my sickness. But there is a king that is greater than any earthly king. And he also has a messenger. And his messenger's name is Elijah. He says, all right, he's going to send some messengers. You go be my messenger. I got a message for the messengers to take back. And Elijah, the Tishbite, meets the messengers, and he says what we've just read, that you will die, king. Don't need to go to ask Baal about it. You're going to die because you went and asked Baal about it, and you're going to pay. They came back quick. Verse 5, the messengers returned to the king, and the king said, boy, why have you returned? He thought he had a little bit of time. He could... You know, flip through some channels maybe and watch some stuff and think about some things, maybe get a little bite to eat and 
Here they are right back. Why are you back so quickly? Well, there was something about the authority of God's message and God's messenger that overrode the instructions of the king. Something about Elijah meeting them that they said, we're not even going to go there. We'll just go right back. There is an authority that is there in God's word. I'm thinking of many of these denominations that are just falling apart. Somebody told me there's a congregation here in New England. They removed the Bibles and they put the Koran in just to be, I guess, nice and show how tolerant they were and all that stuff. Craziness. And a lot of it, in my opinion, is the leaders are bored with God somehow. But you look at the rank and file of the people in these denominations, and when they hear the word of God, they still respond to the word of God, just like these messengers did. Boy, I'm glad in in a denomination that we have that that, uh, there are some great teaching elders and some great ruling elders But man, I'm going to tell you this. Somebody puts a gun to my head and says, uh, who's going to hold the line and who's going to be the godly ones, teaching elders or ruling elders, and you can't take a combination of the two. Uh, my, My hope is on the ruling elders. Honestly, the regular Bible readers that don't have all the fancy training, that haven't seen all the various gods and options and aren't a little too cool for school. And the rank and file messengers come back. They say, well, didn't get to, to where we were going to hear about Beelzebub's word. But I'll save you the time and trouble. You're not going to survive this. This is the God who despises our idolatry. Verse 4, now therefore... Thus says the Lord, you will not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you will surely die. Verse 6, same exact wording. We say that's hard. Ooh, God is so intolerant. Oh, the intolerance of God. No. Here's what my old professor, Dr. Davis, said about this. He said, What do we meet in this section of the story? Above all, an intolerant God. The suave, self-appointed connoisseurs of religious taste in our time will be aghast if they ever happen onto this story. It's probably a good thing they don't read their Bibles that much so they don't have to be aghast. Um, But listen, how can Yahweh, in his wild, untamed holiness, sentence a man to death simply for exercising his religious preferences in a critical hour of his life. Yahweh here is not the democratic sort of God people crave, according to the polls. Our times would prefer the mythology of the ancient Near East, where gods and goddesses were permissive and casual and never insisted upon exclusive loyalty. Got news for you if you're a Christian or claim to be a Christian Uh, You've signed on to an exclusive God. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want that kind of a God either. 
I want a God who lets me serve whatever God I want in whatever way I want. Sometimes I just want to worship myself. And I'm telling you, good luck with that. That's your choice. Be careful around lattice work. And be careful to try and keep yourself alive and, and stay off any deathbed. I don't think you can do it. Better to say there's one God, one real true God, and that God despises our idols and says, I am exclusively God. Some people say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. Man, that God of the Old Testament. Give me the New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Um, You know, the exclusivity in the New Testament is the same as the Old Testament because God is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So here's one exclusive thing that Jesus said. Rich young ruler, Mark 10, 21 and 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He said, you've got some idols there, young man. Bust them up. Get rid of them because you can't serve God and mammon. Uh, You've got to follow me. So the exclusivity in old and new, it's just Christianity is exclusive. This had been Isaiah's life. It wasn't like all of a sudden. Sometimes what we Christians do, and boy, there's a lot of leeway that we can give and, and love each other for this. Sometimes something happens in our life and we just get kind of mad at God for a while. I've seen it as a pastor, but done it as a pastor, as a Christian. You say, well, I did this and this and this, and then God was supposed to keep his end of the bargain. I'm a little mad at God right now for this, and, and I'm going to start looking to other things and other gods. And, and that loving God of ours loves us and brings us back and shows us and, and brings us to exclusivity. So I'm not saying that that, that doesn't happen in people's lives. And sometimes... Uh, You can't excuse it, but you can explain it in people's lives when they go through something like that. And you just pray for them and love them and keep bringing them back to the the exclusive God of love. (coughs) But that's not what was going on here. This had been Ahaziah's life to date. 1 Kings 22, 53. He served Baal and bowed down to him. He was doing it before he got hurt. And it's sad to say this, but so many people die as they have lived. They live stupidly and they die stupidly against God, as enemies of God. And they say, well, I've I've already committed. I'm going to just keep going this way. You know, well, I say don't throw good money after bad. Fool never changes his mind. If you lived all your life anti-God and idolatrous, And all of a sudden, you say, wait a minute, it would make sense for me to to get rid of that junk uh, and turn to God and God alone. Well, then why not do that? What are you afraid of? Before we move on, I just want to say, isn't it nice of that mean, old, nasty, intolerant God of ours to give another opportunity to the one who rejected him. 
God who despises our idolatry is pretty good at giving us opportunities to reject those idols and turn exclusively to him. And it could be that 2023 is the calendar year in which you finally clear out all your idols and turn exclusively to the true God. That would be a year. Boy. So that was a fun section. It's going to get more fun right about now. Uh, where God defends his witness. Verses 9 through 12. So this king said, that's Elijah the Tishbite. Go get him. And he didn't send the messengers that knew him that were going to just go ask Baal. Uh, he sends the army. He sends captain of 50 men along with the 50. Maybe if he had just stopped with the captain and said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm off today. No, you're not off today. Go get Elijah. But he said, no, you get your 50 men. And you go get that guy. And you bring him here. And I may be sick. And I may be on my deathbed. But no God is going to tell me what to do. And I'm going to show who God is. Me. I'm God. And so he goes after that messenger, Elijah. And Elijah calls fire down. And this is a true story. Fire came down from heaven and consumed that captain and all 50 men. And along comes the next group. And Elijah said, hey, if I'm a man of God, come on, fire. Boom. And it did it. Uh, We will look at these incidences. I hate to even say stories because then people have a connotation with stories. These true incidences in 2 Kings, uh, we're going to see a lot of miracles, all true. So this happened. Don't blame Elijah. He's the prophet who called the fire down, but he's not the one who sent the fire. In Luke 9, 51 and 55, uh, they were Disciples James and John were walking with Jesus, and they they asked God to send fire down, and God said no. In fact, they were rebuked for it. Listen to this, uh, Luke nine fifty one. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive Jesus because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. That's not the thought. That's not the agenda. So it's not on Elijah. It's on God. God sent fire down, consumed those people. Well, Need an explanation? Not really, but it would help. What was the king doing with Elijah? Why the 50 men? Why the show of force? Why the military contingent? Uh, He wasn't sending messengers to say, come up to my bedside, have a cup of tea. I've had a change of heart. What's God doing? I'm finally seeing the light. No, this was an absolute declaration of hostilities. This was the king of God's people saying, I'm at war with God and I'm at war with God's word. Elijah's word was like scripture to us. 
God's word. Don't you see it sometimes in modern days? Hypothetical situation. I was going to use a pro-lifer, but I'll use a guy. Let's say there's some guy and he's just a, you know, just a good guy. Got a land dispute. Government wants his land. He's um, filed all the paperwork year prior. He's, he's appeared. He's got a lawyer. He's got all that. But they say, let's do a show of force. We've got to make an example of this guy. We've got to go to his house in front of his kids. And we've got to bust his doors down. We've got to swing in. We've got to show our guns and our weaponry. We've got to show him in front of his wife and his kids that we could take any one of them out whenever we want. We are the government and we're the boss. And by the way, let's call the media and so they get a little heads up so the rest of the people can see that we're the boss as well. That's what was going on here. This wasn't an invitation to have a theological discussion. This was one person who's supposed to be godly saying, I'm going to go against God. And so um, don't feel too, too sad or upset or think you've got to explain all this stuff away. You go to war against God, uh, who's going to win? Well, God's going to win. How long is it going to last? As long as God wants it to last. Sometimes it just lasts and the day of reckoning comes on judgment day. Sometimes like this, in this case, God said, no, you can't just send the army and rough this guy up and bring him in. Most likely kill him. And that Ahaziah was so dumb, he didn't get it when God defended his own name and his word. Where was he? Didn't he hear daddy tell the stories and mommy tell the stories of fire coming down uh, on the mountain and then the prophets of Baal uh, being destroyed? Didn't he get it? And you could almost allow a guy one time to forget because he's sick and make the allowance. But why send a second and then why send a third? That's not bright. God doesn't always provide the level of protection to his people who are under duress, but he can if he wants. Matthew 26, 52 through 54. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And so when Jesus was on the cross, and it would make perfect sense for God to defend himself and show who's God, there was a willing restraint to die on the cross for his people's sins and to let the bad guys win the day so that God could really win the day. God does defend his witness. It's the first commandment. And Ahaziah was breaking it again and again. Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, 
first two guys and their men didn't fare too well. (coughs) We see how God defended his people. This third captain of 50 has got to bring a smile to our faces. And it tells us something else about God. That God is the one who deflates our pride. So the third guy is watching this. And he's like, oh man, honey. I hope I don't get the call. Uh, uh, Take the phone off the hook. Uh, I'm not here. I'm not here. But they found him. And here he was with his 50. And he has to go now. And there are the remains. Who knows what it looked like uh, around there. But his 50 men are going in with him. And what does he do that's a little different? Verse 13. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the captain, third captain of 50, went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. See, the first guy said, man of God, the king says, come down. The second guy, he tried to rush. The king says, come down quickly. He was just trying to get it done. The third guy says, I'm not going to try any of those tactics. The third guy goes and he says, um, he fell on his knees before Elijah and he entreated him. Oh, man of God. Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. He's different in his posture in that he is on his knees. He's different in his purpose in that he entreated him and didn't boss him around because he had the, 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 the might that makes right. Different in his petition. Look at the men. Look at me. We're all caught up in something bigger than ourselves. Now take this moment in the sermon to say, you, me, we need to respond to the wrath of God in terror and humility. Playing the tough guy, flashing the weaponry, show of force against God didn't help in those first two cases. If I was in that third group, I'd be pretty happy to be in the company of a leader who humbled himself before God. I'd be pretty happy. I would say that's the kind of leadership that I want to provide and that I want to follow. Does not the Bible say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up? Fear is a legitimate biblical motivator. Jude 22 and 23 Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. It's not a new tactic for me, but it'll be a little bit more um, deliberate. I want to tell everybody about Jesus and how Jesus is good. And how your life is so much better to be forgiven. And follow Jesus and follow good and what's right. But I don't want to fall victim to saying, and here's what happens if you don't. Carrot and the stick, that's biblical. Humble yourself. Fear is a legitimate motivator. And so, this third one, God deflated his pride and God said, okay, It's all right. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah in verse 15, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. 
So there he went. Finally, the last thing about God, and we'll wrap this up and think about where it meets us in our lives and, and, and the cross and, and how we live. But this is the God who delivers on his promises. It's a good outline from Dr. Davis. I did change that word. His was the God who delivers on his threats, and that's true. But a threat can be a promise, right? And I want us to see God as the promise maker, and God delivers on his promises. So whatever the original intent was from Ahaziah, he was going to beat this thing. He was going to kill Elijah. He was going to mock the word. Those guys were going to go back. Beelzebub was going to tell him he's going to live, and he's going to have his little victory over God and God's word. Didn't play out that way at the end. There is Elijah in front of him. But that intent that was original didn't happen. And it didn't go that way when the meeting finally came off. And Elijah says, all right, gave it to your messengers. You came after me. Here I am. Here's the message one more time. Verse 16, he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you've gone up, but you shall surely die. Verse 17, So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. It talks about some succession for the kings and all of those things. How do we take a passage like this at the early part of the year and say, how do I live as a human being, uh, living, breathing, just as real flesh and blood as those people back then, same God just then? How do I take that passage and how do I uh, put it to my, my feet and my hands and my head and my thinking and my interactions. Wrote down a couple of things, five things. Um, maybe we'll get to all of them. Maybe we'll stop with a couple of them. But we'll see. Number one, I know we'll get to that one because here it is. Get out of your religious rut. There is a God in Israel and it is to that God that you must go not to any of these false worldly gods to which foolish people who've grown up in churches have always turned when they turn away from the real God. Practically, get out your copy of Knowing God and read chapter 17, The Jealous God. That was a good one this week. God said, you will have no other gods before me. You want to have other gods? then you can't claim that God. It's God, the God of the Bible, or anything and everything else. Get out of your religious rut, what you're looking to. Second, it's never too late. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be a story or an incident coming up of a king who also inquired, and, and God, uh, it says in, in our human terms, added uh, to his life and, and, and changed things around. Um, guaranteed, from what we know of the rest of Scripture, 
uh, it's, it's the what if game and it, it didn't happen so we can't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. But what do you think, knowing what you know about God and knowing about the Bible and God's ability, what if Ahaziah said, oh man, ain't no fool like an old fool and that was me and I am turning now away from Beelzebub and, and, and I don't have much time left. But what, what time I have left, I'm going to lead God's people and my family and, and people in what's right. Uh, didn't Jesus say, everyone who the Father gives to me will come to me? And, and didn't, isn't the end of that verse uh, say, and whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out? So I would say a lesson from here is, and boy, you can be set in your ways all the way to your grave or you can say it's never too late. Third point is like the second one, and I've already said it. Cut your losses. Quit throwing good money after bad. Turn to God. Don't be content to be a mere, quote-unquote, professing Christian. Actually become a Christian. That's a good thought. Four, the God who keeps his promises when they are harsh such as to Ahaziah, is also the God who keeps his promises when they are seemingly too good to be true, or I would add, when they are the harshest to his own interests. The same God who said, this is my word, this is where it is, it's not going to change, is the same God who said, I will put the weight of sin on my son Jesus Christ instead of on these people who willfully have rebelled against me and hated me and he will pay the wrath uh, that is due them so that they can have the righteousness that is his. And that's a promise-keeping God. You have a God who keeps his promises. And then finally, as we go to prayer, submit to God exclusively. It is an exclusive claim. Do we love people who don't believe that, that, that God is the exclusive God? Of course we do. Would we die for people from other faiths? Would we weep for them? Would we serve them when they're sick? Would we uh, cheer for the... Well, we wouldn't cheer for the... Some of us would cheer for the Yankees, I guess. The Yankee bunch is kind of over that way today. We'd cheer together for people. We would do what we could with with folks. We don't hate. Not at all. We love enough to say there is an exclusive claim that the God has. And we're going to line our lives up under that. And we love you so much. We're telling you, line your lives up under that so much. Oh, that insults their religion needs to be insulted. It's taken them to hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, it's not difficult. It's not like a hard needle to thread. You can love God. You can love people that don't love God yet the same way you do. You can pray. You can do. But you better, you better stand and make sure your loyalty is to the God of the Bible. And that's 
what we're doing here. We come to church. Get about 52 Sunday mornings a year. Um, That's the summons that God has for his people to come together to worship him. We can worship him later on this afternoon in our own hearts and homes. and, And we can worship him tomorrow. We will, driving to work. But uh, we have time to come and we get to hear things like this and we get to come to his table and we get to say as a group, this is the, the, the church that God has put me in and this is the exclusive God that I'm going to worship and learn about and encourage people to come to. And we can live our life this year uh, as people who maybe for the first time in our life say, I'm, I'm done with that other stuff by God's grace, and I'm going to exclusively put my faith and my hope and my trust in God through Jesus Christ. So submit to him exclusively. The question was asked, is it because there's no God in Israel that you have to go there and ask Beelzebub? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer, of course, is no, there's a God in Israel. There's a God. Worship God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for these Old Testament historical books. Thank you for even just the way we can touch base and say, there's really nothing new under the sun. We thank you that uh, the boss after boss, the New boss is the same as the old boss, but we pray that we won't get fooled again and again and again as we have so often. We pray that you'll help us to look beyond uh, the new boss, the old boss, the next boss, these earthly uh, leaders who've uh, misled us and and taken us uh, down bad paths. We pray that you'll help us to look beyond that and see the hope of the real king. Thank you for Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the exclusive claim that is on our lives. Thank you for making us want to submit and want to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.